Welcome to Better Cast Saul, the officially unofficial podcast for Better Call Saul on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 7, titled Expenses. What do you think of this episode, Aaron? Um, I liked it. It's one another kind of a quieter set piece setting episode, um, but it's good. It's good. Mm-hmm. It had what I thought was a remarkable scene between Kim and Paige, Um for just what I thought, like how it kind of moved Kim's emotional story forward and just the performances of both of those women. Yeah. Uh, had a really nice moment between uh, Mike and I, is it Alicia or Anita? The the grief. Yeah, it's Anita. The grieving widow who lost her husband 10 years ago to a hiking accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like how they're doing that and that shows it. It informs us a lot about Mike in the Breaking Bad universe. And also, mm-hmm. um, but it also shows kind of more, hor- like e- even more horrifying um, what it must mean to him to abandon his granddaughter mm-hmm. and daughter and just disappear. Yep. Um, so it, you know, anytime you have an episode that has a lot of good, great performances and um, can, can inform a, uh, and illuminate, classic characters in Breaking Bad that's awesome I am a bit disappointed that we haven't seen no commercials no new good commercials we see the commercials be filmed and Uh we see a lot of promises made but um, boy I'm going to be kind of bummed out if we go throughout the whole the the whole season and no more commercials now I feel like we're probably going to get a bunch in an episode or two but Mm -hmm. I don't know that was a bummer what do you think yeah um, I I agree it was a good episode I think uh, you know you can't overlook that final scene with uh, Bob Odenkirk where Jimmy's sitting in the insurance agent's office mm-hmm. uh, and has a quasi breakdown. We'll, we'll probably talk a lot about that uh, final scene, but I thought that was another really great one. I'm, I don't, I'm not sure. Um, and I know this is a controversial op- opinion based on the feedback we got, but I can't tell if that's a good performance, a bad performance or a bad performance on purpose. Yeah. I think it's a good performance by bob odenkirk and a bad performance by jimmy mcgill okay but that's probably a good way to put it yeah we'll we'll get there we have plenty of time with the recap yeah uh but overall yeah i thought it was another really good episode maybe not quite as good as last week i mean how Uh can you how can you repeat the saul goodman uh, yeah reveal i guess yeah and it's been on a solid run the courtroom dynamics and then last just you know kind of resetting everything and bringing nacho back into the fold and and if you're having fun with jimmy i wish we could have more fun with jimmy jimmy just seems like you can only (laughs) have fun for about an episode and then real life is a bummer and it intrudes and it's only going to get worse right it is yeah um but man this is kind of this was a potential golden age for jimmy we're gonna have a one or two or three episode run of him doing commercials and he can still like not be making money but i want to see the commercials damn it you will i think i hope uh i'd like to see maybe them in the editing bay at some point right like you know, Jimmy's back there. More star wipes or whatever. <laughs> like yeah. the, the, that's what the people love. Star wipes. Right. Got to give them the star wipes. We told him. I told him I'd make him a star. <laughs> right. Uh, so the before we get talking about the episode, mm-hmm. I want to talk about what had set the kind of uh, Better Call Saul-iverse, um a fire, the Breaking Bad universe, mm-hmm. which is this talk of a Gus Fring spinoff. Okay. Giancarlo Esposito and Peter Gould both went public and say they would be down, which 
I don't know what that even means, mm-hmm. that they would be down for a Gus Fring project, but can I mark myself down as a fan who would not be excited by that prospect at this point? Yeah, I think we mentioned it in passing last episode mm-hmm. um, of what maybe a Gus spinoff could look like. Mm-hmm. And we weren't like super excited about it unless you go all the way back to like the Pinochet stuff. And, but in that case, I think you need to recast people. Yeah, yeah, Giancarlo is probably going to be too old at that point. Yeah, in another few years. You find a twenty-five-year-old Gian, you know, Giancarlo-esque person. Yeah. Um, plus, the other thing is, like, I wouldn't expect Gus to be the same man at twenty-five. Uh huh. Like, I would expect him to be a little bit more passionate, a little bit more reactionary, a little bit more high-strung, and you know that his severe emotional it'd be kind of dumb if he was just came out of the womb as like this half vulcan character right sure yeah like yeah. I, I feel like that's something that he had to learn to master over however many you know years definitely and that's the thing we talked about when we you know first heard about better call saul it's mm. like what the fuck do you do with saul like he's good in small doses but saul as a character is not tolerable for five seasons right and when so they were they, smart. They, they, and they agreed. <laughs> right. They took it back to, to Jimmy, to, uh-huh. to Saul's roots, you know. And I suppose they could do the same with Gus, and I think that might be interesting. It has a potential to be. But honestly, I won't know until I see it. Very similar to how Better Call Saul was. Yeah. I mean, I just uh, – yeah, that's a great point because we were both skeptical, right? But yeah. it's not so much as I don't think the Gus era and Albuquerque would be boring or mm-hmm. would be dumb or I, I can't – like it seems like there's a lot of things that kind of write itself. It, it's more that uh, Better Call Saul is trampling over those grounds right now. It is, yeah. So we're going to get – even if it's just a Cliff Notes version, that's going to immediately make the other stuff less interesting. So I hope they set mm-hmm. it back and, you know, go back and further into his past, which would suggest a recast, which suggests that Giancarlo Esposito wouldn't participate in it. But, you know, I, I don't really, know how to take this stuff. I don't know how seriously to take this stuff. In as much as people like the cameos that we're getting and going mm-hmm. back to see the beginning of all these characters that we love, right? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't get that with the the Gus prequel. Because Gus and Chile doesn't have anybody yeah. around him that we know from the Breaking Bad universe. Right. Right. It not would be... Mike. I, probably not Victor or Tyrus. Like, none of them. I mean, you might see some of those characters. Not, Late, I mean, later on. Like, yeah. like especially maybe some of the cartel characters. Uh-huh. Um, but they would probably have to be recast, too, because you're talking about going way back. Yeah. So I I don't know. Um, and the other thing from, from Gould, and I, I, you know, I know that Gould said he was game, but... Wouldn't you, after, like, potentially 10, 11 years working in this universe, wouldn't mm-hmm. you want to do something else? I would think so. No, I mean... Personally, sure. I, I, that's, you know, there's some people that spend the better part of their lives doing a particular series. Yeah. You know, I can think of several. <laughs> um, but it, I don't know. It just seems like that after I told two really good stories in this universe to acclaim... Uh, I don't know. Maybe the temptation to go back to the well is too much. But I just want to talk yeah. about that because uh, I had some emails about it. And Has the Villigan commented on it at all? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. And as much as this is a co-Gould and Villigan joint, it would be int- it would be neat to see you know Vince and Peter part ways and just let him, like, hey, here's your half of the Breaking Bad universe. Go see what you can make of it. Yeah, and I'm going to go do... I'm going to go revamp the X-Files for him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or whatever he's going to do, you know? Yeah. He's actually, have you heard this? Because he's talked about this a couple times in the ba- Breaking Bad, I'm sorry, Better Cast All Insider. Mm-hmm. He's doing a Jonestown deal. Oh, right, yeah. 
um, which I'm excited for. Me too. Like I would like because I think Vince Gilligan's got just the right amount of darkness and insight into the the human condition to do a Jonestown, you know, cult massacre type thing and and have it really have it really land with people. And I'm always down for something yeah. that that uh, potentially will take down cults and cult mentality. Sure. Uh, okay. Let's get into the recap. Yeah. Let us. Before we get too much further, just want to let everybody know what's going on, what's shaking on BaldMove.com this week. We've got uh, last week, if you're interested in our Alien Covenant coverage, we've got um, a non-spoiler review for everybody and a spoiler-filled review for the club members. We also, of course, as every week, we got Fargo and uh, the Leftovers coverage. Uh, Cecily and I will be recording tonight a special about the season so far in American Gods and Handmaid's Tale. Uh, we'll also be getting out a... Uh, a Twin Peaks um, retrospective cast on the the pilot episode and maybe the episode uh, the the second episode of the classic series mm-hmm. that came out a long time ago that kind of celebrate the fact that uh, this one's coming back. Also, it was a, com- a community commissioned podcast um, and a lot more stuff coming out uh, all the time. Just just too much content for a human to consume at baldmove.com. Check it out. So we start off with Jimmy doing community service, picking up trash. Um, kind of an extended scene there. While he's working, he tries to sell a commercial package to a potential client, and he calls to try to get a refund on his malpractice insurance um, that he, of course, won't be needing now. And as a result, he only gets 30 minutes to serve time instead of the four hours they were there. You could you could make it zero. Mm-hmm. Um, I like kind of the, the opening shot. That's pretty good mm-hmm. um, with all these people just sort of lining up, and you're wondering, hmm, what's going on here? Yeah. And then how he kind of wants to read the paperwork before he signs it, I mean, always... which is completely not commonplace here. Uh-huh. And also, I don't even know. It seems like you should always read something before you sign it. Because you just never yeah. know. You just never know. Mm-hmm. Um, even official stuff like this. Like, if you watch, like, John Oliver's show, you know that the state, in all its various incarnations, is not above some fuckery. Mm-hmm. When it comes time to dealing with parolees, probationers, criminals, anything, anyone that's fallen into the clutches of the criminal justice system, I would especially be concerned about reading that kind of stuff. And but also, if ever it's it's also a criminal justice system problem in a microcosm. If everybody did the right and just thing and 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 demanded a jury trial, our criminal justice system would collapse upon itself right because it it relies on people just going along and taking the pleas and doing the deals and mm-hmm. and signing the contracts and not because if everyone did it would be noon before they got to the trash pickup site yeah everybody get Which, five minutes of time and it's time to head back i would say too fucking bad people have rights people should be allowed the proper amount I, but, of time to I read mean, these just, contracts just know if you're listening to this podcast we have set up our whole criminal justice system to demand this kind of short-sighted bullshit from everyone involved mm-hmm. for it to work at all yeah as good as it does um and maybe that's the best we can do i don't know but that, i thought that was a little bit of a commentary on the system itself all right and, and also the, also like i find all these attitudes extremely plausible the fact that rigid compliance with the rules is more important than the actual service to community. Okay. Like someone just fucking around and half-hearted picking up a trash and coming back with a half a bag is considered more valuable than a person who is on the phone contributing to society that way and also picking up twice as much or three times or four times as much trash as anyone else. Yeah. 
Um, that, uh, right. that also felt true to me. I guess, you know, the, the blame lies on both sides here, though, because these people clearly don't give a shit. Like, Saul is the exception to the rule. Jimmy. Oh, yeah. He's not going. Like, he's, he's wanting a Spartacus situation to happen here, and that's just. No Spartacus one get, situation. Yeah. Oh, you haven't seen Spartacus? The mm. I'm Spartacus. Everyone stands up and. I don't think so. They, they, they want to single out Spartacus for a little bit of extra Roman torture, and all of his men stand up. He stands up and says. Oh, yeah. And yeah. they all stand up and take response. No, that, that's not going to happen. <laughs> right. Of course not. He should have known better. Yeah. These people just don't give a shit. A, they want to get their shit done with and, and get back to their lives. Yeah, yeah. My point is, like, these people don't even try to read the contract, you know? They're just, well, they're just going to sign it. So. You know, how how much can you blame the system if they don't even care to oh, try to exert the rights? I can I can blame systems. Oh, I bet you would. problems plenty, trust me. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Jimmy does... Oh, no, I don't. I don't want to move on. I want to talk about... Okay. The, uh, so they mentioned in the Insider Podcast that this wasn't real trash, that this was specifically sterilized and hygienic trash. Yeah. Which surprised me because it's utterly disgusting. Like, I see Jimmy pick up a pair of, like... Be shitted underwear. Yeah, that's gross. a bottle of leaky piss that mm. someone probably uh, threw off the highway. He spills it all over himself too. Yeah, what are you I mean, what is it with like uh, again? It, I, I am I just a pattern matching machine to seize commonality between all these three shows we're watching? Mm. Because like last week we had the the off screen beatings, we've had the vomit palooza, and now we've got spilling urine all over someone's shoes. Yeah, well, that's what humans do. They match patterns. I mean, I it, it just seems like there's a lot of things that they're just cribbing off each other's notes. Which, yeah, hey, if 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 the cheaters are the 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 villa gang and uh, the the Hollies and the uh, uh, Paradas and Lindelofs of the world, cheat away, I'd say. All right. Uh, anything else? No. All right. We afterward after community service, Jimmy rushes to his car. He wipes down. He changes his clothes, and then he rushes off to a commercial shoot for a recliner store where he tries to butter this guy up um, and sell him the whole ad package, but the guy doesn't go for it. I also love how we see the first take, and then Jimmy gives this whole thing. It's like, you know, f- f- picture your best friend. You, can you see him? What's his name? Ron? All right. Now deli- connect more with your audience. Just deliver that like it's your best friend right in the camera. And he does the exact same performance. Yeah. And this time yeah, Jimmy's like, you know, going. Because so, at first I'm like, oh. Jimmy's actually kind of taking this seriously. He's going mm-hmm. to try to make the best commercial he can to a certain point. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, he's definitely there <laughs> he's giving him that second man. take to to say, yeah, that was the one, and then mm-hmm. let's keep this train rolling. Yeah. No, he's got expenses. Yeah. He's spending a lot of time and money to recoup what seems like less than 30% of his cost. So I think he said... Each commercial airtime like slot 450, is four, yeah, four fifty ish, yeah, four forty five, something like that. Um, so if he's selling them for five something, he's good. And he's but, giving each kid a hundred dollars, right? Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, he's basically making nothing. Yeah, why is he even bothering? Right, just eat the thousand. That that's the thing is that Jimmy throughout this whole episode kind of seems a little, you know, penny wise, pound foolish about a lot of different things. Well, I mean, he's got a startup on his hands, right? Uh-huh. Got to invest some money up front, right? On a startup to make it work. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's clearly his mentality. Like, once he gives away this commercial for free, he's hoping to sell the rest of the commercials. I think what he's really guys. hoping is to get some, and that's the thing. It seems like a wild, desperate gamble to get someone to buy seven all seven slots because then yeah. 
you know, he can he can pay these guys for one session and pocket a lot more. If he if he has to do seven different commercials for seven different clients, it doesn't seem like he's making zero money. Yeah. But also seems like um <laughs> I well, we'll I'll wait till we get there cuz it, it does seem like he's got a little bit of potential with this ABQ and tune. Uh-huh. But on the other hand, I'm kind of with the the brothers. I don't see how advertising a music shop in the middle of murder she wrote reruns is going to help anybody yeah no it's not lazy a great boy spot. recliner yes totally that's that's hand and glove everyone loves a good recliner especially the elderly yeah. i feel like the older you get the better recliner you want like you've got a local pharmacy not like a cvs or walgreens but like one of those rare independent farm that yep. do really good business yep. uh hmm what else could do good business Feel like we're just going to get into stereotypes and, and ageism logs. here. Kids love Lincoln Logs. Lincoln, they do. Yeah, grandparents has birthday kids presents. Love Lincoln Logs. <laughs> yep. Uh, so go to your Goodwills and find Lincoln Logs. They don't even make Lincoln Logs anymore. Do, do they, they not? No, they I can't do. imagine. I mean, they... they make. I mean, I know they made like you know, they're great. I mean, that's the thing. Like they're they're not they're 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 pretty awesome toys if you're like a three year old. Yeah, but you like build a fucking house. How are you going to keep them on the farm when they've seen Carl Hungus? Like. There, there are fucking connects and like technics well, and all sorts job. of shit you, out there. If you let, if if you turn your kid loose on an untold world of technical wonder, then they're never going to play the Lincoln Logs. You right? Gotta, yeah. You gotta, you, you gotta start them off Amish, mm-hmm. and then slowly bring them into the 21st century. By the time they're a teenager, that's that's how you do it. All right. <laughs> you get the biggest bang out of your tactile buck that way. Uh, speaking of. How you mentioned earlier this this gross trash. I mean, Jimmy wipes himself down and he changes his clothes, and that I think that would work this first time. But that I, second time, I don't know whether he was picking up trash in a literal shitstorm or what. <laughs> right, I he's kind, covered head to toe. I would like to have seen a montage of how he got that because like it was cleaning out a sewer yeah, pipe. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Yeah, it's it's incredible the second time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can really see the desperation here starting to mount, and this isn't even the extent of it. Uh, afterward, Jimmy and Kim settle up on the monthly bills. Jimmy can cover it, but he doesn't look happy about it, and he spends his last $25 buying Chinese food for Kim, or at least the last 25 in that envelope. I thought that he was going to be broke at the end of this scene, but clearly he's not. Isn't it interesting that he Kim is up literally twice what he's in the hole? Yeah. Do you think... And I wonder if that's something that they deliberately chose to kind of like symbolically show that if Jimmy was willing to ask for a handout or if Jimmy was flexible about getting rid of this office space. Um, I mean, I I just wonder, like, what all tools are they using to show us that Jimmy is kind of foolish or is this kind of noble or I mean, everyone's uncomfortable. Kim's not liking this. Uh, he's not like, and he's having to stiff his, his Chinese food delivery guy. Yep. That's not cool. Yeah. We can make it zero. Yeah. It's, he adopted the line of, of that other dude. Or you can go pick up groceries and cook a meal for Kim for, for nothing. Yeah. You know. Or pretty... you can let Kim pick it up. She seemed totally willing to. Right? Yeah. Or, or at least pay or, her half. Yeah. Or, or let, say, hey, hey, I'll get the food. You get the tip. Right. There's a lot of ways you can do this without fucking the guy over that's delivering food to you, <laughs> yeah. Jimmy. He's the real victim You know here. what? Hashtag fuck Jimmy. <laughs> Uh, Hashtag fuck the McGills. So, yeah, I I mean, this is just a a slide, a desperate slide for Jimmy the whole episode. Yeah, and this is like, it seems like he, 
you know, cleans out his bank account for this first month. Yeah. So how in the hell is he ever going to, you know, get get good with this? I don't know. I mean, he could try and go get another job <laughs> instead uh-huh. of doing this entrepreneur thing, which requires time and money to set up. Right. Uh, maybe that's an option. He could... Oh, I don't know. Turn to a life of scamming again. Yeah. Become slipping Jimmy, which it, seems almost inevitable at this point. It does seem it does seem like that's going to be a siren call. Yeah. Cuz it's like there's plenty of assholes in the world that you can justify bilking. Mm-hmm. Uh and they're only too happy to be bilked. So, yeah. Uh and that's what he's good at. Better yep. than selling or making ads, that's for sure. Yep. So then we go over to Price, who we haven't seen in a while, but he... Oh, comes... I just know him as the, the squat cobbler. Squat cobbler guy, yeah. Um, in case you didn't know his name, which I guess a lot of people wouldn't. <laughs> uh, Price comes home to find Nacho just sitting in the dark on his couch. Squatting all over his cobbler. <laughs> and he freaks the fuck out. He, like, screams and drops all his shit. I loved it. <laughs> I would. Yeah. I would. It's terrifying. Um, yeah, like, just, just coming home, if there was a mannequin sitting on, like, just to have a vaguely human-shaped thing on that's sitting in the dark on your couch would be <laughs> give you a heart attack, especially if you got 11 billion dead bolts and a security system. Yeah, hilarious. Cause... Although the funniest thing is he's got like 12 padlocks or whatever, and then Nacho mm-hmm. just casually goes out a sliding glass door in the back. Yeah, and it, it's apparent that he also has an alarm system, uh-huh. which if you didn't know, and they talked about this in the Insider Cast, um, those old alarm systems ran on the phone line. So if you just simply either cut or unplug the phone line, they wouldn't contact the the security company. Here's the thing: I dispute that because that seems like such an obvious fucking flaw that it's almost yeah. fraud that you're selling that. Like a bare minimum should be that if you disconnect the t- phone line, it should also trigger the alarm. Right. Like. And surely they had the technology for that. Yeah, I mean that's that's what they said in the insider cast. I know they did. So. I, I'm not. I'm just saying that like I found that dubious, but you yeah, know, whatever. It's possible. Um, so Nacho shows him the pill that Hector dropped and asks him to get more for him. Um, actually, he doesn't want the pills necessarily. He wants the unsealed capsules themselves with nothing in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Price agrees reluctantly. And I, I like here how maybe Nacho seems to have taken a lesson from Mike. Um, I remember back in season two when uh, Mike comes up to, to Nacho and he's trying to make a deal with him and he uh, he has a speech about the carrot and the stick, right? Mm-hmm. And Price could easily come in here and threaten Pri- – or Nacho could come in and threaten Price mm-hmm. like, like he assumes he's going to do. But instead he says, no, I'm going to pay you $20,000. You can get these things for me. Clearly preferring the carrot at this point. Uh, and I want to say that's probably due in part to Mike. Yeah, probably a reaction to his boss, too. Yeah. Although the we have a really great email about the implied threat here and, and how sure we are more sympathetic to him, but that Nacho is no really is, is really no better than, than a Hector. Okay. Which I think was it's kind of an interesting take. Um but no, I I, I agree. When when the snack foods go to war, when it's cobbler versus nacho, <laughs> you, you obviously have to go with the carrot. To go stick would be off off brand. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Can't eat a stick. Uh, so Mike gets his money from the hidey hole in his closet, uh, which he has a pretty secure hidey hole. Yeah. It's like 
three, four layers deep. Right. Yeah. You'd have to do basic carpentry to expose it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty pretty good. Uh, and then he buys the supplies to fix up the church playground, and people want to help him out with the work, but you know he's Mike, so it takes some convincing. But eventually he assigns them some tasks, and he gets in a conversation with a woman named Anita. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a forging of their initial relationship here. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the problem with these volunteer projects, which I've worked on a few in my day. Like, there's an, a surprising amount of overhead just coming up with fucking busy work for unskilled labor. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you need a, a site manager. You know? Right, right. You for got, sure. like, like you know, like, I've, I've, I've framed a whole house with, like, four dudes. Mm-hmm. So 50 people show up to pour cement for a child's walkway. Guess the fuck what? Yeah. You know, like, I, do you want this done economically and quickly and, 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 and also in a way that will not, like, kill a child when it's all done? Maybe <laughs> maybe it's better to, to have the professionals do it rather than hand out participation trophies to everybody. But Yeah, that's true. But you also have to, you know, part of, part of the talent there is is trying to harness the unskilled labor because if you turn them off, then, you know. Yeah, and I mean this. Getting people involved is an important part of this whole thing. Right. It's a lot about community here, yeah. not just necessarily getting the project done. Right. Um, and, and I do think that case is closed as far as at this point in time whether Stacy cares about Mike. Everything about yeah. this episode screamed that she's not trying to take advantage of her old man. She's trying to push him in a direction which he will form these connections, which she thinks he desperately needs. And this is probably right. Yeah. And is satisfied when she sees her efforts are paying off. It has nothing to do with grafting him for a new playground and the, at the house at think. this point. Yeah. She's, she's, playing just... the, she's playing the game four-dimensional. <laughs> oh, man. You have no idea. <laughs> she's playing four-dimensional Connect Four. <laughs> Uh, and that's I, already three dimensional, <laughs> blowing your fucking mind. That's true. Actually, all games are four dimensional. Yeah, or or you couldn't move the pieces. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so I, I like this line at the end where she says, "Thanks for not trying to do all of this by yourself," because that is the Mike tendency. You know, he goes off on these missions. Uh, he stakes out a place. He he is a solo operator. Yeah. And uh, that's what Stacy is trying to get him out of. Right. Get Good luck, Stacy. Yeah. This is a yeah. very old dog that you're trying to teach a very difficult trick. Yeah, based on what we see in Breaking Bad, I don't think it works. Mm-mm. In fact, I do think that they're also telling the story of maybe because we commented upon how distant him and Stacy's relationship was in Breaking Bad, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we got feedback on this too, but it, it strikes me as a part of the tragedy is, and, and I'm I, I'm wondering. I know we're not there yet, but I wonder if some of this stuff where Mike is tell you know being told that you know you need to know why things happened that maybe Mike is going to tell Stacy the truth behind what actually happened to her husband and his son, right. and that's going to fuck things up with them. Yeah, certainly could. It's a pretty good guess. Like, hey, I I think this is you know I need you you need to know this, and she's going to be like, "Fuck you, I didn't." And there you go. <laughs> right. Yeah, I can see that. Um, so after a full day of playground construction, Mike refuses to sleep and instead goes to his parking lot garage. He got cement on his hands. Yeah. Um. He he can finds. He tell, can, can he really tell the difference? Like you got into those hands are like as gnarled oh, as yeah. a boulder. Uh, 
<laughs> he's got like the Devil's Towers Mesa for fingers. He's he's actually can tell. I'm impressed. He can tell the difference between his rhinoceros skin and the cement <laughs> that's hardened in his in his cracks. Yep, his hand uh, cracks. So he finds Price waiting for him to ask him to do another job. Mike's like, no, not doing it. And actually, as a matter of fact, you need to get the hell out of it too. Um, but not before Price tells him what Nacho wants, like what he asked of him with the pills and all that stuff. Um, finds out it's like nitroglycerin pills, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I do like that Price is at least like, okay, he's kept the watch. I didn't see his shoes. I don't know if he's wearing the crazy pumps he had before. I don't think so. But he definitely has got a stealth van now. Yeah. He's, he's looking much, much less conspicuous in that stealth van. Mm-hmm. Um, also playing a Game Boy Advance. Which yeah. released in North America sometime in 2001, so the timeline checks out. Okay. I don't know what the fuck kind of game he's playing. It sounds like he's playing LCD, shitty yeah. Radio Shack game simulator 2001. Yeah. And I wonder if that's just that, that none of these guys who make uh, Better Call Saul know what a video game system sounds like or what a guy like Squat Cobbler would be playing. Uh, Burger Time, probably. Yeah, he'd probably be playing some classic arcade games. Right. Food base is where I was going with that. Food fight, Food burger time, <laughs> tapper. Okay. Uh, wow, I'm surprised yeah. I got three off without even thinking about it. Any other good big big food games? Big food games? I'm sure there are. There are plenty of them. Yeah. All right. Sorry to derail you there. Uh, I, I mean, that's kind of all I wanted to say about this scene. Mm-hmm. You know, he's tr- he's trying to drag Mike back in. Yep. And he's saying, fuck all this. Yep. So Kim catches a quick nap before her meeting with Paige at Mesa Verde. Paige goes on about how well they played Chuck at the hearing, which eh, Kim doesn't really comment on at the time. But once they sit down, Kim tries to explain something that Paige it just isn't getting or doesn't want to believe, and Kim snaps at her. Then she realizes what she's done, and she apologizes for the unprofessional conduct. Then she shows a little bit of remorse for what they did to Chuck or that it's bothering her a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely love the editing when Kim is in the car taking the nap. Oh, I was about to say, this whole sequence from from Kim setting her five-minute timer yeah. to it instantly going off, that, I mean, everyone's been there, right? That's but exactly it, what a five-minute nap feels like. And it tells you exactly, it tells you a couple things, that she's to the point where she's so exhausted that she can go to sleep in less than five minutes, uh-huh. and then also really puts you in, like, almost a first-person of like, oh god, the the alarm. How can this possibly be? Yeah, um, and that did nothing for my at, weariness. And it sets off like the fact that because she this is grossly unprofessional mm-hmm. and shitty bully behavior by by uh, by Kim, but she's extremely tired. And this thing with Chuck is wearing on her because I actually, even though I'm firmly in the hashtag fuck Chuck camp, I also am human enough to realize that yes, they did kind of bully, outwit, and outfight a man who's got a lot of problems. But also, who does talk like that? <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying that like some of this Paige. stuff to check Chuck's not self self inflicted, and I'm not yeah. saying that. I mean, I, I feel like there's there's an attitude that's healthy halfway between Kim and Jimmy, where Jimmy sure. is just like fuck him. We are forced to do this. Like, yeah, all that's true, but you can also feel bad for having to do it. Like you can and be still a soldier, feel justified in you having can, done it. You can kill a soldier and kill the enemy, and not like and feel bad that you took yeah. a human life, but still feel righteous in your in your cause. Yep. Like both of those things can be true, and I I'm kind of worried about Jimmy that he seems to have kind of really lost his essential Jimmy in in all this family battling. Yeah, and her line, um, 
where she says, as far as I'm concerned, all we did was tear down a sick man. Mm-hmm. Um, I I feel like she's leaning further away from Jimmy maybe than we thought she was previously because she's always been sort of bothered by this whole thing, mm-hmm. uh, but not to the point where she a wouldn't help out. And um, I I feel like it's also been a long time since since, since Jimmy has been forced to come to grips with the fact that he's the one that arguably set this up. I mean, it's all arguable, right? It's all because arguable, yeah. I think Chuck, I mean, we talked about this, Chuck and Howard times. not justified in going after Jim or Kim the way they did, but then also, you know, Jimmy, no one asked him to step in and help. Kim didn't need to be saved. Right. Kim she just, told him, as a matter of fact, don't. Don't yeah. try and save me. Kim, I will Kim get would, out of Kim this. Kim will hustle her way out of this. She's right. got that 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 ability to do so, but he didn't. So, but yeah, I mean, no one, well, no one, even Kim has forced him to realize, like, look, the whole, you know, the real reason we're dealing with this shit, and you know, your disbarment or your your suspension, and you know, you're having to pay 150 percent more malpractice insurance and all that stuff, is because you can't fucking fly straight. Yeah. I mean, that's the the crux of it to me is I have never been more uh, – it's never been more obvious the difference between Kim and Jimmy right. uh, than in this episode because, you know, Kim Kim doesn't hustle herself out of situations except maybe in the Charlie hustle way that, that mm-hmm. uh, Hamlet was talking about. She puts in the hard work. She puts in the hours, the time. She puts in the effort. Mm-hmm. Jimmy doesn't do any of that. Jimmy – likes to hustle in that kind of sense his way out of things right you know not hard work he just thinks he can outsmart somebody he can trick he can play the system and even here like he's telling like it's it's played off as comedy like when she asks him direct questions like did you just clean out your you know yeah. oh mr Moneybags, did you you make a lot of money oh yeah how could i not and did you clean out your bank account oh no i wouldn't do that it's like i mean it's understood that kim knows that she he's lying but that's still like I don't know. It seems shitty to treat your loved ones like that. To like lie to, to them? To, to lie to them, not yeah. just not just about the factual, but what's going on in your head. Like, to, to mm-hmm. not let them privy to your true thoughts and feelings about all this stuff. And maybe Jimmy thinks, hey, she knows. You know, right. like, why is she even asking if she already knows? And she knows I feel shitty about this, and so I've lost my brother. And... Jimmy's way of telling her, actually. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, Well, right, but, I mean, that's it seems like the fatal flaw there is assuming that someone has a perfect grasp of your mind. Sure. Um, and can can read it, in fact, when, really, that's that's impossible. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I and that's why I like this scene with her and Paige, because Paige has this natural reaction that, like, oh, this guy stepped up to you and your man, and you fucking, sna- you, le- in a very legal, methodical way, took him apart. And he's this asshole. Like, I'm reading his transcript. It's a plain reading of what an asshole he is. Yeah. And it's just making Kim feel worse about it. And I like the fact that Kim snapped. I like the way that the Paige kind of handled the unprofessionality professionally. Mm-hmm. I like the way that Kim instantly felt better better and leveled with her. Like, gee whiz, if Jim if Jimmy was half as emotionally aware as Kim was, they probably wouldn't be in this situation. And it's also a pisser yeah. that Kim has a history of meeting Jimmy halfway. Uh-huh. More than halfway, some of this stuff. Jimmy says he will, yeah, but then completely reneges on his promise. Um, I don't know. It's frustrating. Yeah, and I, 
very Walter White that way. I think the reason Kim feels so bad about this stuff is because she was reminded here about what they did to Chuck, and she realizes that they're destroying the reputation of a man who can't defend himself right now. You know, he he is mentally ill for, um, you know, for all intents and purposes, mm-hmm. he's got mental problems, and she doesn't feel good about tearing him down. Be- not just because like, oh, we did something bad to Chuck, but his reputation is at stake Um, and it's something he's spent his entire life building and he didn't actually make that mistake with Mesa Verde Mm -hmm. Um, and Kim knows that too right so all they really did was like she says shit all over this guy who is mentally ill now Chuck and and it's having consequences you know people are looking at Chuck in an entirely different light now which I I actually okay so I want to step you know back on that back step back aboard the fuck Chuck you know uh, hash train uh, I stepped off on the tr- station to kind of like get my take, you know, get some fresh air. I'm getting back on board because I think that recontextualizing of his career and his personality and his stature in the legal system is kind of long overdue. And you could arguably say that this, this, this is chickens that should have roosted, except for Jimmy has carefully constructed this cloak around his brother's condition. Like, if it wasn't for Jimmy in the picture, Chuck probably would have been outed as a lunatic a long time ago, right? Mm, I, I don't know. I mean, what what did Jimmy provide that kept him from being outed? He was a buffer between anyone else in the legal community knowing how sick J- Chuck really was. That he is squatting. He's a camping in his house. He is reading by lantern. He is squandering his legal career. He is was acting he? I mean, irrationally. clearly Howard knew that. Yeah, but Howard's got a vested interest to keep that. Do you think he's going to the legal parties and be like, oh, yeah, Charles McGill, off his fucking rocker. He should be disbarred. No, I mean, I feel like a lot of this, a lot of Chuck's residual standing in the community is because people don't know how sick he is. The reason people don't know how sick he is is because Jimmy is covered for him. Yeah, but he's still an excellent lawyer, right? Like, you you can't take that away from him. He does a thorough job. He is well-connected. He wins cases. Like, that's... That doesn't change if he's at home working by lantern light with uh, newspapers underneath it. I mean, that's a very narrow reading of a oh, good lawyer because he also, if anything doesn't go his way, he turns into a fucking baby in the middle of a courtroom. And we've seen it happen twice now. Once with the Mesa Verda thing, which if he had just said, if he would have just said, oh, shit, I must have made a mistake and and played it cool with the judge. I have a hard time agreeing here just because he's he simply did not make that mistake. That was absolutely not his fault, and no. I, I agree the way he reacted to it, not great. Yeah. Like, don't don't pretend like everything you did is fine if clearly on paper here it's not. But sometimes breaks like that don't go your way, and also sure. I mean, I, it, that's it's the complicated. Thing. Everything and is underlying by the fact that Jimmy is on the merits right about all this stuff. Jimmy, I'm sorry, right? Chuck. Okay, Chuck on the okay. merits is right about everything. He that's that's the, the flaw in the ointment. <laughs> I know, and that's what makes it so good, right? Uh-huh. And so complicated. That's uh-huh. that's what you want, right? You don't want a guy who fumbles and makes mistakes. You want a guy who is potentially outsmarted by someone, right? But I also think that there's no way he like he was promising stuff. I mean, there's a, like again, he's taking sensitive documents to an unsecured area that could go up like a, a, yeah. a house on fire at any yeah, that's time. True. Like, there's a lot of things when I'm saying he's not a good lawyer. That's beyond the just you know he's a straight arrow and he knows his things. He's got the connections. There's a lot more to it, I think, than that. And that his reputation of being, for example, if Jimmy had just had his brother committed, which was the best medical advice at the time, yeah. Chuck's legal career has exploded. So, like, yeah. you know, Chuck's inability to see 
how much Jimmy has done for him and his single-minded Ahab quest to go after him is as much to blame as anything that Jimmy did. That's all I'm saying. Also, hashtag fuck Chuck. Right. Uh, So Jimmy gets out of community service, and he he wipes down and changes his clothes for another shoot. Uh, He picks up the crew, but his car won't start, which is just the beginning of a real bad day. And they have to get on the bus with all their gear. Uh, this is it just me or is this camera guy's hair getting crazier and crazier? <laughs> it yeah. is fucking wild now. Yeah, it's uh, still like a weekly thing where I'm, I'm in disbelief. I'm getting angry with with Vince and Peter for not acknowledging the fact that this guy looks like the young J.J. Abrams. Uh-huh. They call him Little Kubrick. They call they call him everything but. Uh-huh. Like it's so fucking ridiculous. I don't even. I can't even. I don't know. It's it's like <laughs> not recognizing that Jimmy looks a little bit like Kevin Costner. Right. <laughs> Am I the only one that's insane? Like, like I think it's like it's sure, no one – yeah, no one would mistake him for Kevin Costner sure. except for maybe the drunkest woman at the bar. Across the room in the dark, yeah. But if, if you saw Jimmy in a local TV commercial playing Kevin Costner and he was mm-hmm. doing a bit of a shitty Boston accent, no one would laugh him out of the room, right? Sure, yeah. Yeah, he has okay. a slight, slight resemblance. Okay, yeah. okay. I'm well, then can you. we acknowledge that this guy looks like J.J. Abrams? <laughs> I want to hear it on the next Insider Podcast. God damn it! Slight resemblance. There's like 20 people, industry people in this room. They all know J.J. Abrams and not facing the fact. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> uh, it also looks cold out. I don't know if they shot this in the morning. I think they shot this in December when they're sitting in the car. You can see Jimmy's breath. Oof! Like, and some of these guys are you know wearing t-shirts and right. Like long sleeves, but right, yeah. That's the thing. Audio is wet in a speedo, so that's true. Suck, suck it up, JJ. Yeah. Plus, he, they call him ba- they call him Baby JJ instead of Baby Kubrick or Little Kubrick. Little Baby Kubrick. J. Yeah. I think uh, his his gear is inspired by like Spielberg, like prototypical. That's what they said that they uh, had directors. Two, yeah, they had two pictures. One was Spielberg during. Uh, E.T. E.T. and another... What was the other guy? It was some... Uh, I, I recognized them, but I can't... It's not on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, me either. But yeah, they were looking for a prototypical director get, outfit. Yep. Uh, so they get to the guitar store, and the clients are backing out of the deal. They don't want to shoot the commercial. Jimmy tries to convince them that the commercial is a great idea for their business, but they're not going for it, not even at a 50% discount. He eventually gives them the ad for free if they promise to buy the rest of the ads once the clients start rolling in. Which this... I mean, I, they did a great job of selling the circumstance because Jimmy has getting all the shit cleaned off and he's barely picking these guys up. and He's on the hook for $100 a piece no matter what happens. Yeah. And these guys welch out of their verbal contract and now, like, literally shooting the commercial for free mm-hmm. is probably the best thing he can do and try to, you know. Because the airtime is like, what, that, that afternoon? He's yeah. not going to get another chance to sell right. this ad. He might as well right. give it away yeah. for the hope of future business. Exactly. Um, and you know, the other thing is like, there's this, all this emphasis on these slots that he's trying to sell. Yeah. But it also seems like long term, this could like, if he made four commercials a, a month, he's, he's covered his rent at $500. Well, I guess he has to sell the airtime. Right. So right. like it's he could make like, so for a thousand, cause can he sell four commercials at a thousand dollars per? Cause that's what he'd probably have to do to, to cover his end of, of the, the business. Yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting situation, but they do a great job of showing how desperate he is, and and he's trying to he's desperate, but without appear trying to appear to be desperate. Yeah, I like that. But then you can tell when he comes out and 
drama girl tries to take pity on him that he's just you know a broken man. Did, yeah. you, did you notice the Behringer soundboards that were prominently in the foreground uh, of the ABQ and Tune? No. Were they the Xenix? They were the Xenix line. I'm not sure. 10, I, couldn't count, I didn't count how many channels there were, and they were slightly out of focus, but they're immediately recognizable at the Behringer, Behringer logo. If you didn't know, uh, like the first three or four years of Bald Move was run off of Behringer boards. We, we've moved on since, but uh, I, it's amazing how often they show up in – yeah. These kind of settings, like uh, Dear White People, mm-hmm. uh, when they have the college radio station, all that shit's run through a Behringer board. Like, I just see it popping up everywhere. Yeah, they're cheap. I mean, as cheap props. cheap and good. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're cheap and okay. I, I would say a college could probably afford better, but as, like, a prop on a TV show, yeah, they're excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're a hundred and something bucks, and you just right. stack them up. right. I think they're cheap and good. Cheap implies that they don't last that long. That's, that's my only okay. knock, is yeah. that... We never got more than two hours out of any of them before they had the exact same bullshit buzzing problem. Two so. years. Huh? Two years. That's not, did I say we didn't get two I years I think you said two hours. Oh, did I? <laughs> that would that would imply <laughs> cheap and bad, actually. Yeah. It would be. It would probably be harder to engineer something that would only last two hours than it would to have something last two years. Well, that's, that's an amazing. Yeah. Amazing piece of engineering there, Mr. Behringer. Uh, had, are you familiar with the Scar- Scholar Brothers before sure. this? Because mm-hmm. I've seen him on a couple of different podcasts. I'm not a fan. From this performance or from other just things everything seen I've seen them. Their yeah. br- their brand of humor. They have is a entire, And I yeah, they that's a yeah. great word for it. And I'm not a fan. Yeah, it's it's very shticky. Now stuff I don't. Do. I think they were fine in the show because they weren't doing their shtick. They weren't. And as a matter of fact, uh, if you listen to the Insider Cast. They came in and they had this whole thing prepared that they were going to do. Thank and, God. And the director was like, no, just just reel it in. That's just Thomas be normal Schnauz. people. Schnauz. Yeah. Schnauz? Schnauz? Schnauz, I think so. Uh, yeah. The director this. Thank God, because I would have <laughs> sta- – oh, my – I didn't get that far in the Insider Podcast. I only got like the 45-minute mark. I would have scooped my eyes out with with a spoon. <laughs> but then my question is why bring in the Sklar Brothers? If you well, don't want the Sklar Brothers to do Sklar Brothers – Bring in anybody else. Like, well, Bill Burr didn't do Bill Burr when he's doing, like, you know, um, uh, Lavelle Crawford. Crawford wasn't doing his shtick when he was doing. I mean, I think there is a little bit of comic timing that you can't teach, and regardless of. What the sh- what these guys shtick is? They probably all done improv and they've all got mm-hmm. a little bit of that comic timing. That's something you can't teach, right? So yeah, I, I'm like I said, they, um, they did a great job at what they were doing, and I can definitely see their background. Of com- I just don't like their particular brand of comic. It's like Paul and Storm. Some people sure. love Paul and Storm. I hate Paul and Storm. I love Joko. I, I liked Paul and Storm the first time I heard him. There you go. They were kind of funny. And then there they just go. continued to do the same thing for year after year right. at PAX. They're like a clown that shows up at a birthday party. Like, yeah. yeah, okay, this is pretty amusing. If you had to watch it five times in a row, no, no. Right. Uh, well, I'm waiting for the episode where Dan Harmon shows up. That would be awesome. He's like, because he's, they've been, they, they go on the Dan show quite a bit. I think they're on. They do. I think they're on Feral Audio. That's the oh the Slar Brothers. Yeah. Okay. I thought you meant like Peter Gould and Vince oh, Gilligan. No. I was like, whoa! I need to listen to that. No, I would. I think that would be awesome too because I yeah. know Dan. Like Dan doesn't respect a lot of filmmakers, but he does respect doesn't Vince Gilligan. Me. Yeah. He's in, he's like uh, yeah. He has these funny rants about how insanely jealous he is of his his talent and success. That would be a good episode. Uh, and then there's this scene with the makeup girl. Like you you hinted at earlier this is jimmy at his lowest 
Um, Jimmy is he's taking pity from the 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 treasure of the uh, yeah his, <laughs> of the her drama hundred club. bucks and I felt I felt so bad for this girl I felt so bad for Jimmy like he I think he does the right thing here you know mm-hmm. like if you're not going to share in the success of Jimmy mm-hmm. then you shouldn't share in his failures either yeah I think take the hundred bucks and and keep doing it until Jimmy says, I can't do it anymore. It's just so funny that this student that he is manifestly taking advantage of one of these commercials is feeling bad and wanting to give right. it back to him. Yeah. And also, I've been hot and cold with these three, mm-hmm. but the little fire drill they did to get into Jimmy's Sintra oh or whatever God. the hell it is yeah. was, was really great. Like they're tripping over that. Like that was something they had to rehearse a few times. They get the mic boom just so it tripped baby JJ. And it it was good. It was really good. And the whole time Bob's like, you know, a a dad running late to drop his kids off of school. Come on, get in the car. Get in the car. Get in the car. We got to go. And he stomped down that wheelchair. Good good stuff. I can only imagine what it looked like them getting on the bus with a wheelchair, (laughs) a boom mic, a camera. Yeah, yeah. Makeup bag. Yeah, that's just every day in ABQ, man. I guess so. Ever since they blew up as a film capital. So um, the other thing to mention about this scene, I guess, um, with Jimmy and the makeup girl, her her credit is only makeup girl. Like, I don't know her actual name. I don't know that it's ever been said. Yeah, according to Seppenwall on his review, he said he asked Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould, and they said, we've only referred to them as camera guy. <laughs> okay. uh, sound Camera guy, sound guy, and makeup girl. Or no, drama girl is what they refer to. Drama her. girl? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but... But Jimmy very much looks like a beggar in this scene, and I think maybe this was pointed out on Reddit. Um, And and I don't know if they intentionally had that idea in their head or if they're just shooting her from a place of power and him from Uh, a place of, you know, want or need. (laughs) Yeah, essentially. Um, But, yeah, you can see all the angles make him look sort of like a beggar here. Yeah. In fact, if he takes his hat and puts it in his hand, he's there. Exactly. So we go over to the group therapy session, and Anita tells the story of how she finally got rid of her dead husband's belongings eight years after his death, or disappearance, I suppose. Once the group session concludes, Mike asks her about her husband. He wasn't a cop, apparently. He was in the Navy. Um, He went hiking at a park, and he disappeared. And she really wishes she knew how he died or where he is, which prompts Mike to call Price and take the job. Is this grief... Thing just for people who've lost loved ones, or is it like a uniform component? Because I was kind of with my, I'm like, oh, this must be a support group for like families of slain officers or something. Yeah, I don't know. But now it just seems like it's more of a support group for people who've lost, you know, lost any kind of loved one. Yeah. Um, I'm. Do you think he departed? One maybe not in the leftover sense of the word. <laughs> Certainly in the he was a test departure. He was yeah. yeah. He was just like to shake you know to, to, so God could shake everything down. So so if you're taking two percent, how much do you take on the beta test? Oh, point oh 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 two percent. Yeah. Okay. And it turns out it's just one dude. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. I just did the math. Yep, you're right. It's this, it's this guy. It's Anita's husband. So what the that's what the answer came back. I I really hmm. So I'm conflicted about this new development with Mike mm-hmm. because on the one hand, it's like, are they really trying to give Mike a, a friend? No, 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 no. That is not Mike. Mike does not have friends. Mike has barely passable acquaintances. Yeah. People with uh, whom he has a working professional relationship. Uh-huh. Um, 
But I suppose if we want to take Mike a little bit down that road and then derail him, I'm cool with that. I had a lot of people say that, or I saw a lot of people, a couple of professional reviewers, some people on Reddit, no one that emailed it in, I don't think, suggest that this was a potential romantic interest for Mike. Yeah, thank you. Really? That was my, like, you <laughs> thought, because I didn't get a hint. I thought it was a guy who was, you know, like had a, a friendly rela- working relationship and then saw another level and wanted, you know, like he's got some relevant interest and I, I saw nothing. Yeah. It wasn't like the waitress flirting with the snow on a driveway type situation. Right. There was nothing like eyebrow wiggling about this at all. It's just two people talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was really shocked to see how many people thought that was a, the potential romantic angle. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, he's only even... Because the only thing that Mike might be less likely to have than a friend is a romantic interest at this point. Yeah. I just don't see it. No, Mike doesn't need that. Mike's Mike's a uh, Mike, Mike not Mike Mike might need it, but I think he's just <laughs> well, too emotionally closed off to to have it. Yeah, Mike doesn't want it. Um, he's, he's too old to be just banging. I think. I mean, I, that's probably I mean, ageist of me. One hundred and twelve. Yeah. I mean, it can't be healthy for him to be banging. <laughs> Ask your doctor if if you, if your heart is healthy enough for sex. Answer no. Hector's no, doc. Yeah, he's already got a prescription for no sex. <laughs> <laughs> um. So it, you touched on this Unlimited earlier. Unlimited refills, no sex. Um. But this. So I. I think a Mike is. Uh. He has his interest peaked here by the fact that he thinks this guy's a cop. Yeah. So exactly. He doesn't go over there because oh this lady's sexy. No, no. He no, just it's like this lady's in the exact same position my daughter has been in, and right. I want to ask her about this because I. I mean, I, this, he's all he's talking about his boy, right? Yeah. Uh, disappearing in mysterious circumstances and how that hard it is. And she confirms his worst fear. Like, I wish I could tell you it didn't matter, but it totally does. Yeah. And that is going to, like, there's a couple, I think that's a big theme of the season. I also think, like, this this theme of being trapped in something. Like, multiple, three different times in this episode, someone expressed, you should get out of this. And it's like, I can't, I'm already in. Mm-hmm. And how everyone feels trapped by these 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 situations. Um but that's definitely going to be a big theme, and, and it certainly informs us of a lot of things that Mike did. Like someone drew the parallel about his unlikely reaction to um, Stevia woman. What's her name? Uh, Lydia. Lydia, yeah. and you know how she didn't want like her daughter to not be able to find her, mm-hmm. um, and Mike kind of relenting on that, and that making more sense now, and also you know him running out on his granddaughter in the park. Like what yeah. a huge break of what you know, of his internal code of ethics that must have been. Yeah. And then they just make it, it, it's making Mike a more painful and tragic character, honestly. It is. To see him like, man, he had so close to, if not getting redemption, Mm -hmm. at least having peace for all of his bullshit that he went through as a cop in Philadelphia. But he's going to get, he's going to get hung up on one of these situations. And for good reasons, like he got all this, because the other thing is it also makes his outrage at the civilian being killed because all he can think about is, like, here's a man who's got a family yeah, uh, who's never going to know. Same way the Drew kid that, you know, uh, discovered the train heist. Like, that shit weighs on him, and, and these episodes really make that even more poignant. So then Jimmy takes Kim out for a night of scamming. He gets a little too into the idea of scamming a guy out of five grand, and Kim pumps the brakes. Oh, wait. Hold on a second. Yep. Why did Mike – okay – I just talked in depth about his motivation. 
But one thing I'm still not sure in is what about this made him go back to Squat Cobbler and say he's in? Is it the reminder of the civilian that was left with no one to avenge him? Is it... Maybe so. It could also be because he likes Nacho in a weird sort of way. They've developed a relationship over the last season. But none of this... It feels like the way they edited this is what Anita said to him, flipped the switch to him calling, and I... I don't see what any of this had to do with Squat Cobbler and Nacho. Yeah, That's what I'm trying to, like, there's a clear connection there, but I feel really stupid because I can't quite articulate what it is. Well, I don't think they did a great job of explaining it. Okay. Um, because I think if you're going to say, okay, well, Mike cares for Nacho, that seems a little strange just on the face of it, right? Mike cares for this guy who is a criminal. Yeah. Um, and... I, I guess that's it. I think they could have done a better job of showing the parallels between maybe he sees his son in this guy. or yeah. I mean, that seems like a pretty big stretch. Yeah, they haven't really done a great job of setting that up. So it Or if they showed that Squat Cobbler right. had a family, mm-hmm. like a, a, a boy and a wife, that, like, I, that would make sense. That he's like, you know what, fuck you, but like, oh, God, your family. But like, yeah. there is, it doesn't seem like a real firm connection. Now, someone might write us in and explain it, and we'll feel stupid. Um, it's happened before. But yeah, I I really I won't feel that stupid. I don't think they did a great job of explaining it visually. Yeah, yeah, and I mean the other thing is there maybe there is a line in season one where he goes to Nacho. You remind me of my boy. I don't. I if if so, I don't remember it, and it seems kind of nonsensical. But yeah, yeah I I my my mic my, my notes say Mike's in. Why? Yeah, <laughs> and I don't I don't know. Okay, then Jimmy takes Kim out for a night of scamming. He gets really into this idea of scamming a guy out of five grand, and Kim pumps the brakes when she sees that. And she wonders if there's another way they could have won the battle with Chuck. Jimmy says, hashtag fuck Chuck, and Kim tries to take his <laughs> mind off it with another theoretical scam. So Kim in for the, the theory scams. Uh, Jimmy, I think, in for the actual scams. He... um. This guy that's the the martini asshole, mm-hmm. first of all, I've never heard a guy sound more like Wally Shawn than this guy, the, <laughs> the, the inconceivable guy from Princess Bride. Uh-huh. Like, it's amazing how much he sounds like Wally Shawn. <laughs> um, but that reminded him, I'm guessing, of his brother so much, his mannerisms and his brusque way of treating him, his, his high, high and mighty approach that... It really got Jimmy. Like you could see Jimmy settling in and going dark, dark places. Yeah, this guy's got to go down hard. Yeah, and I'm going to tell vicious lies and do scan. He's just he's just freestyling this one, and it's really disturbing, Kim. And he's creating a scenario that I absolutely believe would work. Oh yeah, like on the fly. This this guy is good, and it, I kind of wanted to see it. I kind of wanted to see it happen. Yeah, me too. Yeah, because uh, like, I, do, not, though. I do feel like I'm not saying anyone deserves to die or go to jail or get permanently maimed. But I feel like if you treat wait staff like this way, you might deserve to have $5,000 run up on a credit card that's bogus. Yeah. No, this guy's a huge dick. The only problem is, you you know, you need then when the guy opens the, the letter and, and sees the bank statement and gets the flash of anger, you need Batman to sweep in and be like, you deserve this. Yeah. Because otherwise, he's just this not going to know. This is how you treated the waiter on right. Thursday night. It's, otherwise, it's just going to be one one thing in a lifetime full of disappointments this guy's had. Like, oh, these fucking credit card. But yeah. But, but yeah, no, yeah. I do think he deserves 
some kind of comeuppance for this outrageous martini behavior. And watching this scene, I just don't believe there's any way Jimmy flies straight for a full year. Yeah. It's just not possible for this yeah. guy. Yeah. And it's not even for perhaps bad reasons because, right. again, you know, I guess, I guess what's especially – what's hilarious is um, my my wife, Cecily, she <laughs> – during this scene, she gets this thousand yard stare look in her eye because uh, when I when we first started dating, she was a she was a, a bartender, uh-huh. and she's turned and looked at me, and this hollow voice said, "That's how people really are," <laughs> and, and it's a shame because, like, especially in this case, like your waiter especially does not fucking mix your drink, right? They literally take the order to the bartender. The bartender says it's up, and they take it back to the table. You're spilling drinks on this guy for the crime of taking something to you? Also, motherfucker, there are literally two ingredients in a martini. Right. And if you are that concerned with the ratio of vermouth to vodka, yeah. you have lost your fucking mind. Yeah. And and then that's the other thing is, like, do you know how many different ways people like their martinis? Yeah, that's like, true. Like, there's not just that's one true. fuck. It's just get the fuck out of here. He ordered it shaken. They fucking stirred it. Yeah. They fucking stirred it. Yeah, yeah. You're not James Bond. You're not even <laughs> Wallace Shawn. Get the fuck out of here. I, I almost get the impression here that J- Jimmy is doing two things. A, he's triggered by the thought of his brother to, mm. to start scamming again. Mm-hmm. But he also kind of scams to take his mind off of it. Or or Kim uses the scam, this theoretical scam, to take his mind off of it. But it's one of those things where, like, you can't go back because yeah. by the end of the scene, it's all been ruined. Yeah, like, they're he's not going to do this again. It. And she's he's not having fun. She's not having fun. And everything is half-hearted after this moment. And it's sad because I feel yeah. like, you know, this is we're, – we're seeing their relationship just go – something was sweet and innocent with so much chemistry in season one has turned into this – you know, shambling zombie of a thing that's just sad to watch at this point. Yeah. All right, let's move over to Mike, Nacho, and Price meeting. Um, I think it's in the same place they usually meet. Mike tells Nacho that he knows what he's planning and asks about the details. Nacho tells him about Hector's plans for his father's business and how that would lead to his death. And Mike checks Nacho's gas cap for a tracking device, so he doesn't find one. And then he tells Nacho, look, if you're going to switch the pills, you need to switch them back afterward. Right. So no one will know. And then before he leaves, Mike asks Nacho for one more thing. One more thing. What what do you think it is? What what is it? Yeah. What's the thing that he what's the favor he needs out of Nacho? So I read a theory because because he doesn't he doesn't need money, doesn't need right. drugs, doesn't need sex. My doesn't God, need he doesn't sex, need sex. Even though Michael Mando, good looking guy, <laughs> right. uh, doesn't need muscle, doesn't doesn't need protection no. or any of that stuff. No. Uh, the the theory I saw on Reddit was that he wanted the location of the body of the innocent guy they killed to give closure to the to, family, right? That which I guess makes good, sense given the scene before and the reason he he calls up to meet him. And actually, that now makes sense why Mike would get back because he doesn't give a shit about anything except for getting this one thing from Nacho, right? Um, that actually that I like that theory. I like that theory a lot. Okay, good theory. Uh, I, this scene reminds me a lot of Walt quizzing Jesse when Jesse wants to kill Tuco. Remember that scene where he's like, okay, so Thanks. you got your gun, right? right? Jesse goes and buys the gun, and he's like, okay, you got your gun. Now now how many shots is it going to take Tuco to to drop? 
two? Is it three? Yeah. Um, how many guys does he have with him? Like, it's a Mike lot is less doing this to Nacho. But... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> certainly. Nacho's not nearly as big a dumbass as Jesse Pinkman. The but... tone's different, but it, the mechanism is the same. Yeah. You know, and let's he's... think this through. But he's right. If you're going to switch to pills, you should switch them back. Yeah. Um, I mean, I honestly, I guess I wasn't even look. I'm Mike's a lot more careful and paranoid than I am because I was thinking it would be like, well, of course the old man died. He had a heart attack after Tuco pulled some shit in prison. Right. And he couldn't get to his pills in time. And the pills aren't magic anyway. Mm-hmm. He had a heart attack and he died. Um, so the idea that someone had come and, and checked the pills is kind of crazy. Yeah, I guess it's a CYA thing, you know. Mm-hmm. If the pills, if nothing's there to find, they can't find anything. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, and I... It's much neater. Much more professional. And, I mean, we talked about this last episode, but I really like Nacho's motivation here, trying to keep his father out of the business because... Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just that he doesn't want his father in the business, but he knows his father won't cooperate. And he knows what that means. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would think, let's say he was working for Gus, for instance. He could go to Gus and he could tell him that. He could explain it. Look, my father will not cooperate, and the police will get involved. If you go to Hector and say that, He's Hector just, it's like, is an idiot. It's going to wave red flag to a pool. Yeah. Yeah. He's He might go out and kill him just because of it. Right. Right. It does. The other thing this, I guess, Better Call Saul is doing is it does show the Salamanca gang uh, or the Eladio cartel as being kind of ripe for the picking. Mm-hmm. They really don't have the world's greatest brain trust on top here. Yeah. This is true. like may- maybe they had an old man that was good and then Fredo fucking took over. Uh huh. Is Don Eladio, is his first name Fredo? Might be. Might, did he have a brother, Miguel? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's the Spanish word for Sonny? Uh, I. No idea. Uh, me either. Me, Mio. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. So I, I feel like uh, we're gonna find out that uh, Eladio's first name is Fredo because man, he's got, he's got a lot. He's got a lot of, a lot of people. Like it seems like all the dumb people he's got are in positions of power and authority, and all the smart people he's got are in subservient, thin ice type positions. Yeah, Nacho, Gus. Like even Don, Don Juan. Don Juan Bolsa. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe that's his, his name holding him back. Like every single time he's like, I'd like to nominate Don Juan Bolsa. As everyone just laughs for 15 yeah. minutes and can't remember what they were talking about. You can't be a Don. No. no. That'd just be silly. Uh-uh. No, uh-uh. Uh, so you could, my... be a, you could be a Don of a Mexican restaurant chain with that name. You could. Get a big sombrero, come uh-huh. to America, and just set up shop. Uh-huh. Americans love that kind of shit. Oh, yeah. Although, isn't it in- interesting hmm. that... Uh, we used to have these big national Mexican chains like like Don Pablo Chichis and Chichis, and, yep. and the uh, rise of local authentic Mexican food has just ran them the fuck out. Good, good. We don't need big. We chain. need a second wave of Italians to come back over here and yeah. run Olive Garden. Get Fazoli's the fuck out. Of no here. shit. Wouldn't it be awesome if in every corner of every fucking like like I can't t- yeah. like it's the last fifteen years it's crazy like even some small cow town in indiana mm-hmm. has a fantastic mexican restaurant we need a second wave of italian immigrants with their pasta and their sauces and make it happen yeah. i'm with you i'll start it up and we got the chinese like you know i don't that I, this american chinese food it can't be good but yeah it is out there and there's no like you know panda express i guess panda express panda express who eats a panda express i don't what kind of asshole eats a panda express <laughs> i don't know pandas uh, in a hurry that's the only one that can eat a Panda Express. <laughs> I do I do like that Mike checks the gas cap here, but he doesn't find anything. 
and he assumes that that means Gus is not watching, but I would actually assume that means Gus has evolved because Mike knows about the gas cap, and Gus knows that Mike knows. He's not going to use the same tracking method. I would love a scene where or, he starts tearing down Nacho's van is it all- piece by piece, and he's there overnight. <laughs> the wagon. And the whole time, Nacho just hands on hips. Uh-huh, uh-huh. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah, my dad's going to have to reupholster all that. <laughs> um, does it add a little fire to the uh, – or a little, a little gas to the Nacho's working for Gus fire? Because if, if, if mm. Nacho is actually working for Gus, it also makes sense he's not tracking him. It could, yeah. Although it also makes sense for Gus to track his employees as well. Except yeah. for the ones that are smart like Mike who can evade it. That's true. It, all interesting questions. All right. Jimmy goes to see the insurance company to ask for a refund on his policy, uh, his malpractice insurance. They won't give it to him. And, in fact, they tell him your premiums are, are going to go up considerably once your license is reinstated. And Jimmy takes um, – actually, he fakes an emotional breakdown, I think, and well, accidentally lets slip that Chuck had a breakdown of his own during the hearing, which seems to concern the agent. She makes a note of it. See, that's why I'm like I. I'm sitting there, especially when I was on subsequent watches. I'm trying to decide what was because he's obviously using a lot of real emotion. Sure, but the problem is, is I felt like it was a bad performance, mm-hmm. and I think it's in, and I, I think it's an intentionally bad hammy performance. And yeah. we're supposed to, as the audience, figure out you know sooner than later that he this is all put on mm-hmm. that he's going to try to throw this like he's already he came there. Not I because there's a one person asked me an email that I think that he came there just to fuck with Chuck. No, I well, think he was okay. came, he, he was there to to retrieve the balance of his policy. Yeah, I don't know where I fall on this. So I I do agree that he wants to get his money back if he can. Mm-hmm. Somewhere along the line, it switched to fuck Chuck, but. I don't know that he didn't walk in here with at least half of that motive because really? he he the way he to... sets this up is he walks in, he doesn't have his policy number, right? He should know. If I'm going to contact these people, I need my fucking policy number. No one knows that. Okay. I, in fact, here's, it... the, here's the other thing. He could have easily – he has to know. This is probably a point of confusion all the time that McGill is not the end of his name, right? He needs to specify James McGill because if right. he doesn't, alphabetical order says Chuck's going to get first billing here. Right. So – I think that he might be dropping that last name as a way for her to see Chuck's name, mm-hmm. and then when he refers to it, no, oh, I can pull up his policy and get, mm. you know, get his rates raised or whatever. Potentially, but it's but there's sketchy, also some like genuine reactions in there yeah. uh-huh. that throw a wrench in that, and I don't know how to right how to mesh. The and ultimately, two. I don't think it. I don't think it matters. Um, but it, yeah. it's weird because like sometimes. Sometimes I've seen a performance within a performance within a performance, and I've thought, like, wow, that's really good, and it's so awesome to see an actor acting like he's acting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very Tropic Thunder, right? Um, but this one, I just – I don't know. There's something can, – can Bob Odenkirk have a breakdown authentically? As a human being, or as I mean, an I've actor? seen him angry, and I've seen him happy, and I've seen him sad, like kicked puppy sad. But I've never mm. seen him like at the end of his rope, you know, sobbing uh, like he was doing here. And it, it, I, you know, maybe you know, it's like it's a John Hamm type of situation. He's a bad crier, but I, I'm, I don't know. I found it unconvincing, even as a performance within a performance. And I was amazed huh. that so many okay. people were like. And you know, now that you know, uh, one of my best friend and co-host is is on that camp. I. I have to deal with it, but well, I, I was a little amazed to see everybody um, 
talking about that in particular in an episode that I thought was packed with a lot of great performances. So that's the thing that that really makes this complicated for me is I don't know where the performance ends mm-hmm. and where the actors just abilities begin, you know? It's mm-hmm. it's like I see this and I go, "Man, he's not doing a great job of of like when he, when he points out, "Oh, don't don't write anything. You don't need to write anything." That's clearly a put on. That's yeah, like, terrible. But I think it's intentionally terrible. The crying stuff, like, I don't think this is the best performance I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people are saying that. Uh, I think it's a good performance, but maybe not. Personally, what what I'd rather see, if he's capable of it, of Bob Odenkirk selling a convincing leftover-style existential crisis breakdown. Right. The smart audience, as soon as he starts, you know, protesting about Charles McGill, and do it in a good, convincing way. You would realize, like, oh, I suspect, and then his smirk slash scowl at the end when he gets out of the office would for the for the slower members and for just to confirm your understanding. Like, I would rather them handle it that way. So I don't yeah. know whether they made this choice because they thought it'd be better or because that's what Bo, Bob Odenkirk can do. But it just, I don't know, felt off to me and a little, uh, little hammy and and little condescending towards the viewer. Well, the the problem for me is I don't. That's have a just point. me. I don't have a point of reference, right? I've right. never seen Bob Odenkirk deliver a truly broken performance. But as you mentioned, it's obvious towards the end that yes. he is doing like I in fact, that's what I don't like about it. I feel like the average person in this position, even though it's uncomfortable to see a grown man cry, I think by the end they would be like, "What? There would be something about like, wait a second. Yeah, even the person sitting across the desk would be, from him. Yeah, yeah, like this is now entered into such the realm of parody that like this isn't a comedy. This isn't like fucking uh, a, a Happy Madison production. Mm-hmm. You can't have this broad of a comedic performance in a serious thing. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not effective. So what the fuck is it? Yeah. But a lot of people liked it, and I don't want to shit all over your subjective opinion, so that's just mine. I liked it. I didn't think it was great. Okay. But... Um, that's about it. I don't know if you have anything more to say about this scene. Nope. Uh, I, how how do you think this is going to come back on Chuck? Is it literally just like fuck Chuck? I'm going to raise his yeah, rates. I I literally think that's what it is. You it's think he's very, trying to drive a wedge between Hamlin and Chuck? I just think it's I just think it's a way to I I think it's a I think it's a petty act of revenge. Think so? Okay. But I I also like I'm really really excited to see what chuck's next act of petty revenge because i don't buy his conversion for a second i've been thinking about that a lot Mm -hmm. you know of course hashtag fuck chuck but i just don't i just don't see him letting this thing go okay especially when he finds out you know like like to to go full into some kind of uh, caddyshack style parody like it'd be interesting to see him like next episode Maybe he's trying to let go, and he gets this letter in the mail and notifying that his rates go up, and he looks at it and he goes, "Jimmy, you know," and he's it's it's he's it's back on, right? It'd also be just Jimmy's luck if Chuck did turn over a genuine leaf trying to get in his legal career, and this shit brings him back. Yeah. All right, that's it for the recap. Before we get to feedback, we could use your support at club.baldmove.com. You can sign up for a whole bunch of extra features, such as ad-free feeds and bonus uh, podcasts and and variety shows. One of the most popular features is our our weekly Lunch with Jim and Aaron that we do on Friday afternoons where we turn on the cameras and we 
uh, let people watch the video and they can interact with us and we release it as an audio podcast. Uh, one thing I'm doing for the next couple of weeks is I'm going to be doing a breakdown of some of the crazy ass commercials I'm seeing on the internet. Uh, this one was for a new drug called Movantic, which treats opioid based constipation. And we, Jim and I go through shot by shot, scene by scene and point out all the absurdities of this Movantic moment that this construction worker is having. It's pretty funny. We actually took a snippet of this conversation and put it at the very end of this podcast. There are no spoilers at the end of this podcast, so if you would like to zap over to the end of that and and check it out, you can get a little taste. And if you want more, the good news is club.baldmove.com comes with a free 30-day trial. Uh, You can try all of our special content, all of our special features, decide if you like it, and cancel any time in those first 30 days and get charged nothing. Pretty awesome. club.baldmove.com. Thanks in advance for your support. Do we have any feedback to do? Oh, yes. Uh, better cast all at baldmove.com if you'd like to send us some. Um, here's the thing. I got so much email about our fuck up with scotch dating. Hmm. Right. Um, that we asserted that if you could have a 35-year-old bottle of scotch and then you sit on your shelf for 10 years, it would be a 45-year-old bottle of scotch. I mean, I need to write. Other than when I mouth off about global warming, I've rarely gotten more feedback on a certain thing because I had so many people like that's not how Scotch works. If you bottle it thirty five year, it stays thirty five year. Ages in the cask, it doesn't age in the bottle. I need to. I need to send an email to Vince Gilligan or forward all yes. these emails to Vince yes, Gilligan because he, he said it in the Breaking Bad Insider cast, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess so. He's the one asserting it, and I'm honestly I, I don't like know Scotch, enough, not but to. I'm not that big of a Scotch fancier to know that subtle detail, right? Um, I, I like drinking good scotch. I don't know right. about how they date it. Right. Um, now I do, I guess. It makes sense. It makes yeah. sense that you are you can't absorb any more character from the glass bottle. Why yeah. would you? Yeah. Although it is a thing to age wine. And like, and, and then part of that is because I think that. It's a living thing, though, right? It's still, like, yeah. It, it's chemistry hasn't fully sorted out and mellowed yeah. and all that. It's still a thing. Whereas you, if you, you've had, like, if you had. <laughs> Well, if you had wine in a barrel for 35 years, it'd just be vinegar at that point, I'd, I'd, I'm sure. Yeah, and that's what happens with the old wines, too. Yeah. Like, even once they're bottled, if you let it a wine sit for 70 years, it will just be disgusting. It yeah, especially it's it's all about how good the cork is and how, yeah. and how you store it. But, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so, anyway, for everyone that sent in, you were right, we were wrong, we suck, you were awesome. Uh, moving on. Uh, Austin Ash says, speaking of the Tapico furniture jingle, I thought it needed an arrangement, so I made this. Download and play it on the show if you want. We, if you're interested in hearing that, I'll, I'll throw the link up in the show notes. But we also will close uh, the episode today with the Tampico jingle. Okay. It's spectacular. It's very Jimmy. Yeah, it's good. John McKinn, I love it when I hear you guys repeat questions and make statements that I make to my wife while we're watching. Tonight, it was Coke versus meth. I had the same question. I've actually seen them both in person. I'm going on 11 years sober now. Don't fret. <laughs> good. And the bricks didn't look like meth to me. So there, I I have a person who is familiar with coke and meth, and he says they don't look like. And that's the thing. Like, I thought the I still maintain that meth is Gus's thing. The cartel is trying to get coke across the border, and that's Hector's thing. But the meth has and always was uh, uh, Gus's thing. Okay. So there you go. Jerry G. 
Just listen to your off-brand episode cast, and you're discussing the motives or lack there of Mike's daughter-in-law, Stacy. For I remember Breaking Bad, every time Mike was about to come into some money or embark on something dangerous, he'd always make arrangements for the money to be left to Kaylee Ehrmantraut, not Stacy. Mm-hmm. Since his never-aging granddaughter can't be more than eight years old in Breaking Bad, if he had a good relationship with Stacy, I think he'd leave the money to her to take care of them. I think his making specific arrangements for the future to be left solely to his granddaughter speaks to a falling out and mistrust of Stacy in the future. Yeah, I can totally see it. I mean, that's my analysis situation, but I do, as a person who has set up a large trust for his progeny, um, it is left to his name, but the trust is, like, going to be managed by, like, my... I need, actually need to update that since my... But but you can set up the trust to be managed by someone until they're 18. Yeah. So, and that person would have authorization to withdraw money from that for the child's care, um, and it's conceivably they could take him on vacations and buy a nicer house. Like it's not like Stacy wouldn't be able to use it at all. Um, I don't know what legal instrument Mike set up to to do all this. So it's not exactly cut and dry that him naming Kaylee as the beneficiary is going to be because he hates Stacy and wants to cut her out. Yeah. In fact, it'd be very hard as her guardian to completely cut her out of any of the money arrangements because Stacy herself can't legally make decisions about this until she's an adult. So, but I, I do, I do kind of agree that the, the whole tenor of their relationship is that something is bad going to happen between now and then, which is if you're a betting man, pretty good money. Uh, Aiken. Hey guys, just writing to help answer a question you had of the latest episode of better call Saul. I've worked in television for a while now at multiple local stations, and I can tell you the idea of Jimmy getting a commercial to the TV station 15 minutes before it airs is entirely plausible. (laughs) Didn't see that coming. He has a standing contract with the station, so he's liable for anything profane or vulgar that might run in the ad. The station would get hit with a fine, which they would then in turn sue the crap out of Jimmy. Several employees would probably be fired from the station. Well, that's not cool. No. Uh, as far as actually getting commercial to air, it takes a pers- all it takes is a person or person in master control or the marketing person responsible for feeding things to the off-site master control, putting into the system and assigning it to code. Then when 315 hits, the computer pulls the ad associated with that code, and boom, it's on the air. Really, the only people that would see it uh, to run be- the check it for improper things would be the master control operator, the marketing person, or perhaps someone in sales. Okay, fire all of them then. Yeah. On a daily basis, we make commercials and ads. They're only seen by a couple of people. It's somewhat shocking how few people it takes to run a local station, minus live productions or news runs, yeah. newsrooms that are run out of the station. So I guess now that's the thing. Like even master control, right? Like if you you know if Jimmy was full on naked, he'd be like, "We can't air this." What the hell? Yeah, I, and if he doesn't say that, then yeah, then I guess he would that be guy liable. Should be fired. But I'm actually kind of shocked that it doesn't go through. Like, I've been in big companies where they have a legal department that things have. And, like, it seems mm-hmm. like once you get a legal department, which every local station that runs a news department surely has, everything no gets, gets run through those fuckers. Yeah. So, uh, Lucas S. Uh, there, we had two in a row about this Crazy 8 and Walt and the Pico jingle. Um, the actual dialogue, Lucas says, after K- Crazy 8 says his dad owns present tense Tampico furniture, Walt says he knows the place. Walter White, they used to have those late-night Crazy 8. Yeah, those stupid commercials. Walter White, yeah, yeah. Crazy 8, yeah, that's them. Been doing them for over 30 years. Then they sing the jingle. 
If it was all on Jimmy yep. doing the commercial, I'd guess it would have been just too serendipitous to have that originally unintentionally line up. Yeah, he has not been making commercials for 30 years. No, he is not. And they're not late night commercials. They're Murder, She Wrote commercials. So Indeed. Indeed. But maybe he's trying to take him into the daytime. I almost said prime time, but it's the soap time. <laughs> prime elderly time. Uh, Pascal D. also has some research. Said, while an awesome theory and one that I'd like to be true, when Walter White is talking crazy at the commercial, Walt asks crazy who wrote the lyrics, and he says, my crazy uncle Alex came up with it. He used to he used it to pick up ladies at the bar. To him, it was like he wrote Stairway to Heaven. So we can't even... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's the the door's Seven. firmly closed. Yep. I, I could see a Tampico furniture commercial, but Maybe he tries to sell them and they've already got a commercial. Yeah. They're satisfied with their jingle. Yeah, I got thirty years of late night commercials, buddy. If I want to run Murder She Wrote, I'll run Murder She Wrote. Yeah. Uh Amy J, have you guys ever wondered why Jimmy never called upon the doctor from season one, the one who was convinced that Chuck's condition was psychosomatic, to be a witness in his defense during the trial? After all, it was she who stood listening while Chuck ranted on about whatever smug-ass thing and secretly turned on an electric switch at the foot of his bed in order to prove her point to Jimmy. Her expert testimony would have been made at Jimmy's case a million times stronger, no? I mean, I think it's... As I understand it, that case was not necessarily about Chuck's mental state. And the board probably would have seen that witness and been like, what the fuck? This right, this about. has nothing to do with the evidence. It was only Chuck and Howard's tactical blunder of stepping into that that allowed yeah. that whole line of questioning to, to go forward. Right. So that's that, that's that answer. But then she continues, fast forward to last week's episode, and who did Chuck forge his way through the streets of Albuquerque to call Dr. Laura Cruz, the same doctor from season one, which I suspected, but I didn't what? know. What? Yeah. Same doctor. Okay. Right. Huh. The same one who wanted to have him committed. I don't think that Chuck reached out to her for help, as you guys surmised okay. in the last podcast. I think he has another asshole plan to undermine Jimmy. I yeah. don't even know where to begin speculating about what that plan is. She seems like she'd be a tough cookie to manipulate, but I sure as shit don't believe that Chuck is calling her to concede a need for institutional treatment. Yeah, okay. I didn't know that that was the same doctor. That makes total sense. And that re um, that, that firms up this idea that I've had that Chuck is only ever able to make it through the pains of his illness, um, to suffer through that, to fuck over Jimmy. How in the world can this doctor be possibly involved in fuck? Like I, I don't know. I want to believe it. Uh, I'm Fox Mulder. I want to believe. Also, hashtag fuck Chuck. But I, I really can't connect the dots on this one. Yeah, I just I compare the two possibilities. Right, one that Chuck genuinely has had a change of heart and is looking for help, like diagnosing and treating his mental illness, mm-hmm. or that he wants to fuck Jimmy. And I yeah. can't help but say he wants to fuck Jimmy. Like, can he get him in legal trouble because he had guardianship over Ch- Chuck and refused the best medical treatment available? I mean, that would be fucking ironic. Yeah. Like, I... you should have committed me, you asshole, and you didn't. And this is what <laughs> happened, and now yeah, you're responsible. Like, I, I can almost... I have no idea. Boy, that would make you just piss fire and blood, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Oof. Oof. Yeah, it must be. Uh, Jason, our friend from the Nattercast, uh, writes, My prediction is that Saul meets the disappearer through Francesca. She sticks with Saul as his practice descends into sleaze and organized crime. She's clearly comfortable with it. She's worked at the motor vehicle department. My guess is she's part of a network of ID forgers that Robert Forster uses. 
Uh, I want my full internet points. If I turn out to be right about this one, I'm still pissed sure. about Don Draper not being DB Cooper. I'm taking I, some of my internet points. I'm setting them aside for that's you. That's right. We got them in They're an earmarked. escrow account. Yep. They uh, it's in a lockbox. They cannot be used except to award Jason from the Nattercast. Yep. <laughs> um, Christopher B. Wow. I expected Chuck not to let the fight go, but it ends up it's Jimmy that can't. Don't get me wrong, I'm on the F. Chuck train. I rode with the train company long enough to where I have enough points for a full steak dinner. But I won't forget Jimmy's own dickery. Chuck was defeated. Now he's further fucking with his career with nothing to gain. I'm starting to think he did steal from his dad and mess up the business. Any of you guys <laughs> thinking that? I thought that all along, man. So yeah. you think Jimmy stole his his father blind? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, wow. I think he was a, a foolish child. And okay. he did things that he probably no, regrets. Foolish child is not habitually taking money from your father until you bankrupt him. You, you, I, I know, but I, I think, I, I just think he did it. I mean, he seems like the kind of guy. He seems in that moment where we saw the flashback to have been like, if my dad's not going to use this money, and he's going to keep getting taken advantage of, then I'm going to do the same. I guess. I mean, that's some talented Mr. Ripley level of fucking crazy shit i i i mean i'm i'm open to the idea but i will say if that turns out to be true it will completely change my opinion about jimmy yeah for the worse sure to be, to be clear um i have new respect for him uh i'm thinking that because of the thesis of breaking bad seems to be walter white was always heisenberg maybe jimmy's always been saul a guy who can set you up with a group of hitmen on short notice if he did mess up with his dad look out that changes the events jimmy loved more uh, Jimmy was loved more than Chuck. Jimmy steals from his dad. Dad's business fails because of it, and he dies. Jimmy then proceeded to have a life of conning people and suing people, which funny stuff for the most part, but I imagine if someone pulling the slippy Jimmy routine, slipping Jimmy routine at my place, I'd be ticked. Chuck whines for a bit and then says, okay, fine, I go, I'll lick my wounds. He proceeds to get help. He's I've skipped a whole bunch of history to catch us up to modern day. Mm. Then this Jimmy dude pretends to fuck with him again. Now, again, Chuck's a massive dick, but I'd uh, argue that Jimmy is at least a medium-sized dick. Mm-hmm. Um, I I agree. If that does come to pass, if, big if, um, it's going to go long ways to vindicating Chuck. I would still criticize Chuck for, like, not just living and letting letting live and doing this crazy Ahab shit, but, you know, that's just maladjustment, and it can happen to the best of us. When has Chuck ever... Uh, misread Jimmy. Mm. I really don't think there's a time where he has he has like overestimated Jimmy's selfishness or. Well, I mean, he's certainly gotten like he thought that Jimmy would come under stealth of darkness and not just openly confront him outrage. Like I, it's more details than the broad strokes. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. Like you're, I, I guess you're basing no, 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 this no, no. whole when idea he... that Jimmy's innocent on. Just not believing Chuck and his reading of Jimmy. Well, I think when Jimmy got a fucking law degree, if like, so my question with you is, do you think Jimmy would have relapsed into all this shit if Chuck was just genuinely happy, proud of, and supportive of Jimmy for getting his law degree and turning his life around? Like everybody else. I mean, he could have done that at Davis and Maine, right? He could have. He had another opportunity at Davis and Maine, and he fucked that up royally. Well, but that was all part of the Chuck deal. Like the fact, like I think. I think one of the reasons that Jimmy fell down at Davis and Maine is because, um, you know, his brother was fucking with Chuck and kind of to get revenge for him. I don't it was think all so. bound up. I... No, he didn't fall apart at Davis and Maine out of nowhere. 
No, he just wasn't satisfied with that life. He didn't like it. That was a, pe- a bit of it, but I remember that the the re- the start of his downfall was his brother's continuing lack of disapproval and machinations <laughs> against him. Okay, lack of approval rather. Yeah. Um. All right. Reginald has a ta- uh, has a, a interesting take on Nacho. He wants to view himself as his family's savior from the evil Hector. It's true that Hector is a violent bully, but then again, so is Nacho. Yes, Nacho offers Price, the squat cobbler guy, money to get what he wants, but didn't Hector do the same thing last week? I'll make Poppy a rich man. Hector never verbalizes a threat towards Nacho because he knows he doesn't need to, and it's the same thing between Nacho and Price. Nacho never tells Price that he'll harm him if Price doesn't give him what he wants, but he doesn't deny it either. Nacho knows that breaking in someone's home and waiting from the dark is a classic, if not cliched, intimidation move. What if Price had a son that witnessed his father being threatened by Nacho and shot Nacho? Wouldn't Price's son be just just as justified as Nacho in using deadly force to protect his family? So Nacho, forget all of your angst and hand-wringing that you expressed over beating an underling for not doing his job last week. You are a gangster and a thug, and you are the danger. Uh, I think that they're two different animals. I think really? Hector and Nacho are very different people. Um, night and day. And okay. I, I don't think. Do that, you think it's a difference in kind or degree? Because I think I'm kind a little of, with... of both. I think if Nacho doesn't get what he wants here, he finds another way to do it. He doesn't put the screws to price. Hmm. I would like to believe that, but I I don't know that it's true. Why I, don't know. Do you think I mean, that? that's just the read I have on Nacho. He seems like he doesn't like... want to beat the piss out of Crazy Eight, but does that mean he doesn't want to beat the piss out of just anybody? I mean, what choice does he have? Well, I, he, he was like, forced fuck to you, do Hector. that. I, I'm not going to be. But him. he is a mid-level drug dealer. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like he's gotten he he's, he's risen to that level on the skills of his negotiation and peacemaking ability. Sure. So but he's he's been the heavy more than a few times, and it's, yeah, it's yeah. served him well. Yeah, I just don't think he's as as dumb and hot-headed as Hector is. I agree with that. However, I mean, I, I do think that it is a little bit hypocritical to essentially say you don't like how Hector has bullied you and your family into doing this one thing when you're kind of bullying other people and doing stuff that could get them in real trouble as well. Okay. Although, I don't know. I don't like, see the bullying, but... Showing up to some dude's house at the... Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess he could have gone and knocked on his door. And said, hey, here's 20 grand. I kind of want to show up at your house in the middle of the night at the baseball about at 3 o'clock in the morning. But, hey, man, I need to borrow some money. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool if you say no. No. it's <laughs> You know. I get that that would be a scary thing. But he uh-huh. doesn't threaten him. He says, I'm going to give you yeah. 20 grand. Like, yeah. Is a credible threat of force the same as an actual threat of force? A credible Legally. threat of force? Yeah. Like, if you have the means and the motive and the personality to, to do something... Everyone does, though. Everyone has the means to hurt somebody. I guess. They certainly don't have the proven track record. Anyway, yeah. this is this is uh, going nowhere. Let's move on. Isaac K., I'm wondering if I have a legit reason to call bullshit on the Villigan, whom I love. As it stands, the origins of Saul Goodman is just a ruse for Jimmy's production company. Granted, they haven't dove into the why he chose the name specifically, which may or may not come up, aside from the fact that it's an allusion to the phrase, it's all good, man. But the bullshit I'm calling is because when Saul is first introduced to Breaking Bad whilst meeting Walt in the office and finding out they both have an Irish heritage, uh, he f- tells Walt that my real name's McGill, the Jew thing I do for the homeboys, they all want a pipe-hitting member of the tribe, so to speak. All right, so do we have, in your mind, do we have a continuity error? No, because Saul Goodman the lawyer is not Saul Goodman the ad man. Right. 
he could very well keep the moniker because of that reason. And or, also, both of them are Jimmy McGill, who is a bullshit artist. Yeah. This thing he's saying to Walt might just be stock patter that he says to anybody off, that walks into his office that's not yeah. a scumbag mm-hmm. to explain, like, oh, you know, I'm not like them. I'm like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It's crazy. It's, it's more than a little racist. But I, I don't see it as a conflict because... We just saw the actual origin story. What he tells, what he tells Walt, is just a story. Sure. So I'm, I'm going to believe my lying eyes rather than uh, his statement to Walt. Uh, Trent T. Fantastic episode. Only issue I see is how she explained the refund. I'm actually an insurance broker, and I don't see how they wouldn't just refund his money if he wanted to cancel. That's not how that works. He would get a prorated amount back. It's a minor nitpick, but just I had to get that out there. I assume some companies do that, not all. Uh, well, so Doug L., our, our legal expert um, or our legal correspondent, uh, backed Trent up. He says, Jimmy's likely right about his insurance. When you buy malpractice insurance, it covers a period of time. But what would matter is when the malpractice occurred. Suppose I screw up in January, stop practice right. in February, cancel my insurance in March, and get sued thereafter. What matters is that I was covered in January when the alleged malpractice occurred. Sure. That seems... That seems right. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that he there couldn't be some kind of crazy clause that he would sign with that reading that would put him on the hook for that kind of stuff, similar into the way that he did with this commercial arrangement. But, yeah, my understanding of insurance is that that seems correct. Um, on the commercial side, how do people keep backing out of these deals with Jimmy? As an attorney, one would think he'd get a commercial commitment in writing, um, although an oral contract is also still potentially valid. Having the various business owners can constantly backing out is good dramatically, but any businessman, let alone an attorney, should know better and lock that shit down before committing resources to it. I suppose it just goes to show his level of distraction and desperation. I also wonder whether Jimmy needs any license or permits to run his commercial business, but I didn't have time to research that. <laughs> I laugh aloud at the last sentence because mm-hmm. Jimmy has need obviously would need a permit to film like we've I mean, we've seen him. Yeah work around permits and permissions and all that kind of stuff. So the problem is, I guess now is, are you assuming, um, Doug, that Jimmy is flying straight and narrow? I think he's flying straight by his standards. Sure. Yeah. But he commits fraud on almost a daily basis. He does. I mean, none of the, he probably needs, I guess if you're in someone's office, you don't need, or in someone's store, you don't need a permit to shoot there. Yeah, um, they sure. give you the right to shoot there, but right. Um, as as far as like you know, locking these people down into a contract, a I don't think he has time to draft a bunch of paperwork, bring it over, have him sign it, and then uh, come back later and film the commercial. And if he's going to have him sign it on the spot, well, that doesn't help the problem. Yeah. The, the other thing is, okay, verbal contracts may be binding in uh-huh. in some form, but you got to take those people now. to court. Yeah. Like, you have to spend more money to do that. There's no way he's going to take these people to court over 445 bucks. It's just not going to happen. So these people are free to back out whenever they like. Yeah, it's the time. It's it's honestly the time crunch. That explains yeah. almost all of this stuff mm-hmm. um, and his increasing desperation and all that. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I do think – I do I do kind of wonder because his Jimmy McGill commercial, Gimme Jimmy – was legitimately good. Yeah. He's got that on his resume. He made it with these stupid kids. Why doesn't he just go after why why doesn't he uh, why doesn't he take the time to do a better commercial and and make that his interim career? I mean, it might 
be exactly that reason. He just doesn't have the time to do it. Yeah. I'm just thinking long term, like, yeah, you're at 4000 yeah, yeah. grand now. That's sunk cost, whatever. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to, you know, re-up your malpractice insurance next year. But, like, long term, you need a cash fucking flow. And this is a way you could get cash to flow. Because you can make good money making local commercials. Sure. Um, yeah. So, and, you know, I I just wonder why they're not pursuing this more. I mean, it's funnier, I guess, if he does a whole bunch of just crazy borderline acceptable and in taste you better call Saul style commercials yeah. but i'm not even getting that damn it yeah i need commercials i need <laughs> i need the rec- i need this full recliner i want to see the star wipe on recliner guy i want to see twin star wipes for the Sklar brothers here's the big opportunity i think they're missing with this show uh-huh um you know how walking dead runs these flight of the living dead uh, bullshit. Yeah, uh, uh-huh. shorts between the the episodes. Air Jimmy commercials. Air Jimmy commercials yes. during the Better Call Saul episode. What the fuck, people? Do you know they did that with an episode of Atlanta last year? Did they? Yeah, what, like what one of the things run? where like each the beginning and ending of every commercial segment had like Adla- like um essentially a a well known commercial concept. Where Donald Glover imagined if instead of war- marketing to white people, if they were trying to market to black people. Uh-huh. And it was really funny. And, in fact, I think it was a commercial break or two before I even realized what they're doing. Like, I'm like, huh. Yeah. Huh. FX is selling a lot of African-American-centered advertising on Atlanta. That's kind of smart and, like, not for me, but, you know, whatever. Whatever. Uh-huh. And then by the third one, I'm like, oh, wait, I recognize that guy. He's the peanut butter and jelly guy from early in the season. Ah, <laughs> you're fucking with me. Well done, Glover. Yeah, and here's the biggest slap you in the face moment is uh-huh. when you see – I'm watching this on uh, AMC streaming stuff, so I don't uh-huh. know if everybody gets this during network airtime. But when they show you a fucking commercial for Better Call Saul during Better Call Saul, yeah, I'm like, you just fucking – not only did you waste – your time, but you wasted my time. Mm-hmm. I'm already watching the goddamn show that you're trying to advertise to me. Make that a Jimmy commercial. It's one and thing. Make like, me love the, your network. The one exception is during like award season when you're running a sh- an advertisement about how good the show you're currently watching is. Because I do feel like that's a little bit of brand loyalty you're building. Like you're validated. You have a 15 second spot. Congratulations to Better Call Saul for his nomination. Of, oh, right. You know, right. it's because like you feel good to know, like, oh, the show I'm watching actually is universally acclaimed. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that's got a marketing value. Yeah, but you're that's right. Not what they've been doing. You're right. I, I'm actually shockingly, it's going to become a recurring segment on our lunches with Jim and Aaron that I'm going to do a takedown of these. Because I'm watching more <laughs> and more of the television through like FX now and AMC right. and. And they all, like, you know, you'll see a fairly professional Acura commercial. Mm -hmm. And then you'll see a Tecate beer commercial with Sylvester Stallone and some MMA guy I've never heard of or boxer I've never heard of. And it's, 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 I don't know. I don't, it doesn't make me want to drink Tecate. It makes me want to laugh about it on lunch with Jim and Aaron. That's a first step of building a brand. But, yeah, uh, they're just crazy ass drug commercials and obscure brands trying to hit it big and it's it's kind yeah. of like 
the the grand version of the local television commercial. It's mm-hmm. a brand that's never done this before. They've got enough money to get Sylvester Stallone. They forgot to hire competent cinematographers and writers. Yeah. And Salai doesn't give a shit. He's <laughs> going to say whatever you got on the fucking cards. He don't care. Yep. It's, it's, it's glorious. It's glorious. And that's it. That's okay. it for feedback. Uh, better Cast Saul or Better Call Saul at, at baldmove.com if you'd like to drop us a line. Um, and we'll be back next week for – did you see the title for next week? Uh, yes, but I can't remember what it was. Slip. Slip. Okay. That's Which, exciting. That's, that's uh, very portentous when you're talking about Slip and Jimmy. Yeah. I'm it's, excited. Uh, back, it could be backsliding. It could be a literal con. Well, I'm, 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 I'm invested. I can't wait to see where this goes. Yeah. All right. Um, if you'd like to follow us on Facebook or, or social, uh, other social media, facebook.com slash baldmove, at baldmove for Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we also have our forums, the forums dot baldmove.com uh mm-hmm. so check us out there and and find all of our content at baldmove.com uh we will see you next week until then i'm i i am aaron and i'm jim bye don't let shopping strain your brain no just seen this short refrain oh my furniture is bueno So I've been watching a lot of Hulu because Hulu's got The Handmaid's Tale. And Hulu has some crazy-ass commercials. I've seen this thing about 16 times in the last three weeks. This is for a drug called Movantic. All right. And I want to analyze all the fucked-up things that's wrong about it. Hi, I'm Frank. I take Movantic for OIC. Opioid-induced constipation. (laughs) Okay, yeah, let's pause it. All right. This is good. This what is, really... is one of the biggest problems in America? Opioid abuse. And and why do you think, what is the contributing factors of this epidemic of heroin and opioids? Uh, it's certainly the lack of poops. <laughs> the overprescribing of these drugs? Or, or I, I mean, it's, well, I mean, maybe people take them to become constipated. That's why maybe I do. They're... That's why I abuse opioids, because I want firm poops. Yeah. But but what what is striking about this is this is a commercial for people whose doctors have essentially put them on opioids forever to the point that their shits are granite now. Yeah. So we're going to treat the side effect of something we prescribed you with another drug. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's 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 continue. Let's continue. I had a bad back injury. My doctor prescribed opioids, which helped with the chronic pain, but backed me up big time. Now, the other thing is observe that he's not talking to us. He's talking to someone off the screen because that's going to be that's going to be that's going to be super crucial. I like to imagine he's talking to the foreman of of this crew. This looks. Yeah, he's telling he's he's telling his other buddy, (laughs) like why he was late. The the buddy that he's selling opioids to. He's explaining, (laughs) hey, you need to go to see your doctor about this. I can't hook you up with Movantic. Uh, The other thing is this looks so much like a Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Commercial down to the fact that this guy is a dead ringer for Will Forte. Huh. Uh, anyway. Tried prunes, laxatives, still constipated. And, and, and he's, he's trying prunes and laxatives as he's heading towards the big orange. So, so uh, 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 <laughs> Right. Now, surely he has not tried all the laxatives because he's about to tell us about a laxative that will help with his firm poops, right? Well, this has just been invented by science, and you should ask your doctor about it. <laughs> okay. All right, so now he's, 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 he's going to his doctor who looks like um, Gretchen from Breaking Bad. Okay, a little bit. Maybe mixed with uh, Dr. Quinn. 
Okay, medicine, medicine woman. woman that's yeah. that's appropriate because she's uh-huh. going to help him with his poops. <laughs> right. I had to talk to my doctor. She said, "How long you been holding this in?" <laughs> Forever. <laughs> oh God, this guy. He said, "How long have you been holding this in?" And he breaks the fourth wall, fixes us with this sheepish grin, and laughs right into the camera. That was my moment. That, that's moment. a knowing laugh. But He's I, laughing with us, not at us. This has become a thing in our household. <laughs> <laughs> this is our Movantic moment. Doctor told me that Movantic is specifically designed for OIC and can help you go more often. Don't take Movantic if you have a bowel blockage or a history of them. Movantic may cause serious. Wait, side doesn't effects, he have a bowel blockage and a history of them? How the fuck are you supposed to tell the difference about like like constipation and a bowel blockage? Yeah, I guess you go to your doctor who prescribed you the opioids and say, yeah. "Hey, I can't shit, doc." Yeah, uh, I, I want to try Movantic, but maybe check me out for this blockage thing because I'm <laughs> yeah. just all I'm just all blocked up. I've been holding this in for a long time. Uh huh. Wait, opioid. Okay, those are withdrawals. I thought maybe that was a symptom of blockages. All right, all right. But it's not. Okay. Symptoms of opioid withdrawal: severe stomach pain and/or diarrhea, and tears in the stomach or intestine. Tell your doctor about any side effects and about medicines you take. Movantic may interact with them, causing side effects. Why like hold it? In? Opioids. Have your Movantic moment. Talk to your doctor. About and they're just this have your movantic the, it's all moments. mr robot framing at the end where he's at the extreme fa- far side of the left talking off to the left uh-huh as if he's looking back toward the past regretfully i i just i i'm just amazed every single time this comes on